Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekly. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer. The national crisis over the Israeli government's judicial revolution rages on this week, with hundreds of thousands of Israelis taking to the streets in mass demonstrations and a week of national paralysis declared by the protest movement. Declarations by reserve officers in the Israeli Defense Forces that they will refuse to report for duty in protest of the reforms has led to deep concerns on the security front. But an equally worrying side effect of the judicial overhaul are its implications for the nation's economy. Here to discuss the reasons behind these concerns is a woman in a position to explain them as well as anyone can. Professor Karnit Flug was the ninth governor of the Bank of Israel, serving from 2013 to 2018. She was the first woman ever to serve in that key role. For the past four years, she has been the vice president of research and the William Davidson Senior Fellow for Economic Policy at the Israel Democracy Institute. Professor Karnit Flug, welcome to Haaretz Weekly. Thank you. We're already several months since the sweeping judicial revolution was introduced by Prime Minister Netanyahu's government. We've been through 12 weeks of intensive protests in Israel. You at the Israel Democratic Institute were out in front very early in this process, warning that the reform package as proposed could have devastating effects on Israel's economy. In the weeks since, you've conducted extensive research at IDI to investigate this hypothesis. Other bodies have done the same, including the government itself, and we've seen events playing out in real time. Can you review for us how the results have played out versus what you predicted when it was initially announced? Well, I think that what we've seen are just uh, signs in the markets that they're worried the results, uh, the main effects are longer term effects. So we haven't seen them yet. What we've seen the market signaling is a lot of nervousness about the uh, reform, the potential possibility that this revolution will actually go through. And we see this even in the daily depreciation of the shekel when there is a sense that it's going through and then appreciation when there is a hint that maybe it will stop. So we've seen that. We've seen a very substantial difference between the increase in the share prices in NASDAQ and in other international indices uh, while share prices in Israel went down. So we see all these sort of hints by the markets that they're nervous and that they're concerned. But the main effects or the main economic effects of the judicial overall will be really uh, felt only over a longer period of time when resources and capital will not be available to investors in our high-tech sector, and if the risk of decline in the rating, in the sovereign rating of Israel will actually materialize, that will have real detrimental longer-term effects. To focus on high-tech for a moment, they've never been a particularly political group, the high-tech sector, but they are in front in these protests, and there is a great deal of focus on the potential damage that these reforms could do to Israel's high-tech sector. Um, can you explain for us why that is particularly dangerous to our economy, how dependent we are on this sector, and how it's particularly vulnerable to the feelings, to the reactions of the international community should these reforms go through? So I think this is really 
a key uh, factor in why Israel is so vulnerable to this judicial uh, overall. Uh, and that's not what we've seen in some other countries like Poland or Hungary that were hurt by their judicial uh, overalls, but not to the same extent. So Israel's high-tech sector accounts for about 10% of employment, about 16% of GDP, about 50%, 5-0 of our exports, and about 25% of dire- the revenue from direct taxes. So it's an extremely important sector in the economy. Now, it's very dependent on foreign direct investment and on foreign VCs investing in this sector. And if the resources... To be invested in this sector will not be available, then it will not be able to function. Now we should also remember that it's as it is without the judicial overall, resources are less available because of the higher interest rates, lower valuations, and therefore there is less capital available and it becomes more selective. So on top of the global, circumstances, it will also have to sort of decide whether to invest in a place where there is this kind of uh, uncertainty stemming from the judicial reform. They will not come here. Now, we should also remember that the Israeli entrepreneurs, they're very brilliant, they're very creative, and they're very attractive to other countries where they can operate. And it's not like you have to move lines of production. You also only have to move yourself with your brain and operate somewhere else. So in that sense, it's a very mobile sector, and therefore the vulnerability is uh, very, very uh, strong. In addition to people in the high-tech sector saying that they would move if these judicial reforms go through, we have foreign governments who are actively courting our high-tech companies. The government of Greece is trying to make itself attractive to Israelis who don't want their companies based in Israel anymore. So that's potentially devastating to our economy. That's right. You have had time to do the research on the effects of these similar judiciary revolutions in other countries. You mentioned Hungary and Poland. There are a few more examples. Were you able to back up what people are saying in terms of the effects of uh, such changes on the economy in terms of what these countries have gone through since their reforms happened? We've done two things. First, we reviewed the research literature about uh, what happens when the judicial oversight of the executive branch is weaker. And there is quite, I would say, vast literature that suggests that in countries which have lower or weaker judicial oversight, growth is much lower. And the chief economist of the uh, Ministry of Finance actually looked at this research and evaluated the potential effect as to a decline in the annual growth rate of about 0.8%, which is half of the growth in per capita income in Israel over the last many years. So this is part of what we did reviewing the literature. The second part was really looking at countries that went through very similar type of judicial 
overalls, and that's Hungary and Poland and to some extent Turkey. And what we've seen there were two channels by which these judicial overalls had an effect. One is how they affected the sovereign credit rating. They reduced the sovereign credit credit rating. In Poland, it was only temporary. In uh, Hungary, it was for the longer term. And this means increase in the cost of the government debt or the government borrowing. And the second channel was reduced foreign direct investment. And uh, we compared what happened in these countries to foreign direct investment, uh, comparing to peer countries, to similar countries at over the same time. And we've seen a substantial decline. Now, I should point out that in the case of Israel, that will be particularly damaging because of the dependence of the high-tech sector on this investment from abroad. So we look at these uh, examples, but we are concerned that in Israel, actually, the potential damage is much more severe because of our dependence on, on foreign direct investment and on VCs investing in our high-tech sector. The foreign investors will hesitate because of a lack of oversight or a lack of recourse in the Israeli judicial system, or are there also ethical concerns that, uh, you know, the investors don't want to invest in countries that don't hold up human rights or discriminate against minorities, uh, etc.? So I think both channels are at play, actually. I think, first of all, uh, investors, uh, not only foreign investors, also domestic investors, are concerned about the possibility of abrupt change in the rules of the games and the rights and property rights and the potential arbitrary decisions by the executive branch. All of these may be at risk when you don't have a strong and independent judicial uh, branch and judicial oversight. I think over the last few years, we've also seen that investors are looking at the adherence to ESG, environmental, social, and governance um, standards. And uh, there are a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, investors that are concerned and are not interested in investing in countries that do not hold to these standards. So I think uh, that can also uh, be uh, at play, and the combination will be quite damaging to the attractiveness of Israel as a destination for investors. Professor Flug, I recently visited you in your offices at the uh, Israel Democracy Institute, where you've served as vice president for four years. IDI has always combined deep research with involvement in current events, especially during election times. You work behind the scenes with decision makers. You create position papers that political parties can use, that people can use in order to promote their arguments. But this battle feels different, and your offices had an interesting atmosphere, almost like a war room, that the battle is now on the streets, and your audience is no longer uh, behind the scenes in the Knesset. It's the people of Israel. How do you take these arcane terms, the credit ratings, etc., and how do you explain to the average Israeli what the implications are if these judicial reforms, if the revolution uh, goes ahead? 
Yeah, so I think part of our role is really trying to translate these economic terms that are sort of known only to professional and people who are dealing with the dismal science of economics to what it means for the ordinary citizen. And I think we actually invest quite a lot of thought into how to translate it. And let me try also in this opportunity to just explain what it means. What it means if there is lower growth, it means that actually our incomes will grow much less or may even uh, be reduced as a result of lower employment and of less activity and less export. Uh, and that means that the, the activity and our income will grow less. And if I, I just said that the uh, tax revenues from the high-tech sector are 25% of direct taxes, and if that will not be forthcoming, it means that the government will have less taxes and it will be able to spend much less on providing us with quality um, education and quality health care and welfare for those who need welfare. So every citizen may feel that. And if the government needs to pay more when it borrows to finance its deficit, it means that it will have less resources to spend on us, on the citizens. So I think we're trying to basically explain how these uh, sort of economic terms actually affect every citizen in Israel. Well, if we're not worried enough by what's going on in Israel, we've been so caught up here in our own matters that we've had little bandwidth to look at the troubling first signs of an international banking crisis. First, the Silicon Valley Bank, and now there's problems with Credit Suisse and uh, Deutsche Bank. What do you think is a potential effect on Israel, and how will it influence the fallout from the judicial reforms? In the past, we haven't been immune from these international crises, uh, the 2008 um, economic crisis, COVID, etc. But um, we wrote out these previous crises fairly well. Do you think that these reforms or what we're going through regarding these reforms is going to affect our ability to survive a crisis if it is a potential incoming crisis internationally? I think we should separate between what's going on in the regional banking sector in the U.S. and our judicial reform. Uh, there are specific uh, attributes of these banks that are sort of concentrated in areas and in uh, branches of the economy uh, that uh, made them more vulnerable. Uh, and also the fact that the uh, regulation on these banks have been has become lighter in terms of capital requirement and uh, liquidity requirement made them vulnerable. And that's not the case in the Israeli banking sector. The Israeli banking sector is very tightly regulated and the uh, regulatory requirements are quite high from all the banks. So I think in that sense, they're not vulnerable to the same kind of issues that are now uh, actually afflicting the banks in other parts of the world. I also think that the fact that some people are actually taking their money uh, abroad is still, in terms of the order of magnitude, is not something 
uh, that is worrisome. I think that my main worry is about things that will not happen, the investment that will not be coming here and the activity that will be lost because of that. Uh, so I, I don't see a financial stress uh, sort of being too worrisome. I have to say it's a pleasure to hear a little bit of good news. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying. <laughs> Professor Flug, you were appointed by Benjamin Netanyahu to be uh, governor of the Bank of Israel. You worked closely with him for five years. We know he cares a great deal personally about the Israeli economy. He takes pride in the startup nation he built, just as he does about being the guardian of security in this country. And his actions with this revolution, with these reforms, led many to the conclusion that his behavior is pointing to a situation in which neither of these things matter to him, uh, either security or the economic implications of the reforms. Do you see any signs that the economic consequences you are pointing to, you're ringing the alarm bells for, will have any effect on his future behavior, perhaps change his determination to push this revolution through? When you see Netanyahu now, do you see the same man you worked with in the years that you were governor of the Bank of Israel? In the short answer is no. I'm surprised that so far it seems that the warnings by experts uh, on the economic effects and on the security effect have not actually led to a decision to stop and try to uh, reach some kind of broad agreement and move to some kind of a reform that would be broadly agreed and won't be so divisive as it is. So it's very hard to understand. And what are your thoughts when you see the people on the streets, you know, pushing back? Are you at all encouraged by the fact that this might not go through the way you fear? I think that the combination of experts with their analysis and the large protests on the streets may, at the end, cause the government to stop and think, but I'm not sure. You have access as someone who's been a brilliant economist for years and held the top positions uh, in the sector in Israel. You surely communicate with your peers uh, around the world. Uh, we've had international experts speak out publicly about the dangers of this judicial revolution on Israel and Israel's economy. Is there anything that you're being told privately or in back rooms that people aren't saying publicly about what can happen? I think initially people talked more quietly, but now I think many of the experts actually came uh, and talked publicly about the concerns because I think the sense is that maybe the public uh, outcry will lead to, to a change. So, um, But I, I must say that what I heard, I was recently at a conference uh, in New York and people just could not understand how it's possible that we're moving in this direction and that it seems until now that all the warnings are not really falling on listening ears. Are you getting any pushback for speaking out internationally, for example, on this podcast in English, that you and other uh, top Israeli experts are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy by predicting doom and gloom, and therefore the investors, the markets, the credit ratings are responding to what you're saying instead of you observing something uh, happening abroad? Well, I think initially we heard some uh, claims that we're actually initiating this response 
sort of killing the messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that, you know, having seen this special report by Moody's and by other, uh, actually by all the rating agencies and by, you know, so many experts from abroad, I think we hear less of this claim. Uh, but we haven't heard yet that, uh, you know, that these things actually sink in. Mm-hmm. And in the worst case scenario in which the first important reform law passes and others follow suit, do you think the effect on the economy is going to be something that we're going to see very quickly? Do you think it would be a long-term, you know, slow decline? The expression is very slowly and then all at once. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the way it will play out. But I don't really know. I think there are some uh, effects that will be more immediate. But at some point, I think it may be very fast. Mm-hmm. If I can ask you on a personal note, as someone who's devoted so much of her life to public service in this country and building the economy of this country, there was huge growth during your uh, term as Bank of Israel and a lot after that as well. How are you experiencing this moment? Well, my main feeling is uh, anxiety about what will be the kind of country that will be here for my kids and for my grandchild. So we've heard a lot about your greatest fears uh, regarding uh, the reforms and the revolution. Um, What is your greatest hope? What is your best case scenario from where we sit here right now? Well, my hope is that uh, the process will stop and that there will start a discussion with the different uh, players and that there will be some decision that will maintain the independence of our judiciary system and that will, you know, satisfy a a broad or will reach some kind of a broad consensus uh, because I think otherwise the risks are just too great. Professor Karnit Flug, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you. And that wraps things up for Haaretz Weekly. Thank you to Professor Karnit Flug, to my producer Dan Brumer, and editor Nahara Malkin. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer, and until next week, Shalom from Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm.